Well, I would have to say, I'm not sure who's taking the bigger risk. Uh, thank you for having me. And I was talking to your pastor earlier, and it's been uh, three times now since he's been the pastor, and once prior when Brother Shemesh was the pastor, and how time flies, how time flies. Sure enjoyed your singing, sure enjoyed the special music, the children, what a blessing it is to see them singing, and enjoyed our brother from Papua New Guinea in Sunday school, and uh, where are you, brother? Where Lay is that on? That's on the coast. On the coast, I've been twice to uh, the Mount Hagen area. Brother Dennis Wells is from our church, and of course, you know Brother Brad and Chad and Wes and the rest of the family. And uh, Sister D. Wells, Brother De uh, Wells' uh, wife, went home to be with the Lord just a little over a month ago, and uh, it was. Uh, you know, I guess when you say it's not expected, we, we all know that uh, short of the rapture, uh, we are all going to die. But uh, uh, she had just been feeling some pain, and Brother Dennis brought her to the emergency room, had some abdominal pain, and within three weeks, she went home to be with the Lord, uh, had cancer. And, but the good news is our brother shared with us in Sunday school about his son, is that she is with the Lord. She is with the Lord. Now, we're left here to deal with our feelings, and that we have to do. But thank God for his grace, amen? Thank God for his grace. So I'd ask you to pray for Brother Dennis, and uh, because he's dealing with the loss of his dear wife. And uh, my wife and I have agreed. I'm 60 years old. Her and I have been married 40 years now. And... Uh, I've just seen a lot of people have to say goodbye to their dearly beloved, and I, I don't want to have to do it, I'll be honest with you. So her and I have agreed to go in the rapture, <laughs> or if the Lord won't let us go in a rapture, we're going to go in a plane crash or something, I don't know. We're, but we want to go together, we want to go together, but the Lord doesn't always give us that choice, and he does give us grace, he does give us grace. It's great to be with you, and got in last night. And uh, so I'm a little bit, little bit disoriented. Uh, yesterday is tomorrow, and last month is this week, and <laughs> night is day, and day is night. And uh, talked to my wife this morning, and I think over there now, it's uh, Saturday, so it's yesterday, but it's in the middle of the afternoon sometime. So I'm in good shape. It's either Sunday morning or the middle of the afternoon on Saturday. I can, I can handle either one of those. But it's certainly good to be with you. And uh, let's take our Bibles and go to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah chapter 53, you have a very beautiful facility. It's clean, it's bright, it's neat, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, that's, that's a good thing. Enjoy your singing. All of you look like you want to be here. Uh, and if you don't, you're faking it real good. So... And hopefully I'll give you something from God's word. And even if I don't, you can be amused at my accent. <laughs> None of us think we have an accent, do we? But as we're from different parts of the world, we all have an accent. Even for 
we're speaking English. We have an accent. And so uh, hopefully you'll get something from the word, but if not, you can just be amused by the way I say things. Isaiah chapter 53. This is a chapter that is not unfamiliar to most of us that are saved. It's a wonderful chapter. It has different views of the Lord Jesus Christ, but principally, it's a chapter that talks about the suffering of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, suffering isn't something that any of us really like to think about. It's not something we enjoy, but it was the only way that we could be saved is by Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for our sins. So I want to talk for a little bit about that this morning. You know, as you go through the Bible, you see different aspects of Christ. If you go to Matthew, you see him as a king. If you go to Mark, you see him as a servant. If you go to Luke, you see him as the son of man. If you go to John, you see the son of God. If you go to Genesis 49, Jacob calls him the lion's whelp. Uh, Paul refers to Christ in Ephesians 5 as the husband. I was reading Revelation chapter 4 verse 7 the other day and saw four different beasts with four different faces, a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. And I was reminded of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's true that all of the Bible eventually points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's in the Old Testament looking forward to him or in the New Testament looking back, it all speaks of our lovely Savior. This particular chapter speaks of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I see this chapter, I think of John saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When I see this chapter, I'm reminded of the Last Supper. I'm reminded of his mock trial, Peter's denial, his cross, and his tomb. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The Bible is very clear that when we got saved, we went to Calvary with Christ. And we were judged for the eternal penalty of our sins for the last time. That's good news, folks. But it's all because of the suffering of Christ that we can claim that great promise. The verses we read this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now here's the part that flesh and blood doesn't like, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. I was going through a difficult time in my life some years ago, and we all have been there. And I remember saying to a preacher friend of mine, I said, Who's, whose dumb idea was it to sing, I want to be like Jesus? You know, we, we sometimes come forward at an altar and we, we weep and we say, God, I want you to use me. 
And then a month later, we'll be at that same altar weeping and saying, Lord, these people are using me. You see, we have it in our minds how we want God to use us. But if you're like me, it usually doesn't include suffering. But it's part of it. It's part of it. And so as we look at the suffering of our Savior, perhaps we can make a little more sense out of some of the suffering that we might need to go through from time to time in order to serve him effectively. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, please help us now in these moments we have together. Lord, overcome my uh, jet lag and disorientation. Father, my natural frailties, my sinfulness, the old man that likes to get in the way when you're trying to do something. Father, we pray that you would just captivate us now by thoughts that come from your word and speak to our hearts and anoint this, that it might be used to your glory and honor. Father, we pray not only for your people this morning, but it's likely in a group this size. Father, there is somebody that doesn't know you. And God, we just pray that when they leave this place today, they would know you. Thank you, Lord, for the songs. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the smiles. Thank you for all the manifestations of your goodness. Now, in the next few moments, please help us as we try to go a little further and that you might use this time profitably to your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53. If you've been saved any length of time, you've quoted it. Some of us have memorized it. And it's an amazing chapter because it's one of the great chapters in the Old Testament. Prophetically speaking, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter helps us to understand our suffering Savior. He's going to come the second time as a lion out of the tribe of Judah, but we know he came the first time as a lamb to die for our sins. This great chapter may give us a little more insight into some of our own suffering in his behalf. The first century church father, Polycarp, said it looks as if it had been written under the cross of Golgotha. It's often been called the torture chamber of the rabbis or the bad conscience of the synagogue. Luther said in the 1500s, he said, every Christian ought to be able to repeat it by heart. It is as if it were written under the shades of Calvary at the foot of the cross. It was written in 700 B.C. And as we look at this chapter this morning, it's going to outline four different types of suffering. If you look with me at the first three verses, we'll see the suffering of rejection. We're told in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. In these first three verses, we see the suffering of rejection. He was rejected by his own people. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. When Pilate offered them Jesus, they said, we want Barabbas instead. They rejected him. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. I think in many ways, to them, he didn't look the part. He didn't look like the one that could throw off the Roman yoke. He didn't look like the one that they were looking for. And so they rejected him. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then you look at verse 2 and you see a picture that to the Jews in the first century didn't look like the mighty arm of God. Humanly speaking, he was not the obvious choice. Who hath believed our report? Who hath believed our report this morning? For it is unbelief that is the damning sin. For it is unbelief this morning without Christ that will cause you to be welded to your sins for eternity. Who hath believed our report? As we look in verse 2, we're reminded that he came to his own, and his own received him not. We're reminded that the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. In this, we see two classes of rejection. In the first, the architect is not welcome in his own house. He designed it. He made it. He built it. But he's not welcome. And secondly, the patriarch is not recognized in his own family. Here in these first three verses, we see the suffering of rejection. Rejected by his own people. Rejected by the leaders of the nation. In Psalm 22, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have set me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Those bulls represented the leaders of the nation. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. You know what I think sometimes? We think of witnessing for Christ, and that's important. I had a couple opportunities on the plane, and I'd like to tell you that I took Advantage of one of them, but I'm ashamed I didn't take advantage of the other. Do we all have a similar story? Sometimes we take those opportunities, sometimes we don't. But let me say to you this morning, the world will spread rejection of Christ. And our witness on a day-by-day basis, whether we're telling somebody how to be saved or just going along in life, and caring about the business that God has for us in day-to-day life. Our lives should reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the fruit of the Spirit that we might be living witness for, witnesses for Him all the time. Because the world has a tendency to reject Him. He was rejected by His own disciples. The Bible says that they all forsook Him and fled. If you remember though, Peter is known for having said, Lord, I'll never, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. And of course, Peter is known for denying Christ three times. But you know, the Bible also tells us that the other disciples agreed with Peter. They said, no, we won't. We won't deny you, Lord. We'll die with you. And his own disciples forsook him and fled. They came into the whole ordeal with a false confidence. He was rejected. He was rejected of the lost by the world that he created. And yet he still says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He still says, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. How many of us this morning, if we had been rejected as much as Jesus, would be willing to say to a world that rejects him again and again and again, come, come. What a wonderful Savior this morning. What grace, what grace. And yet he won't force himself on you. If you come to him, we will not reject you. And yet he will not force himself on you. He will draw you lovingly to him. For we read in Jeremiah 31, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Remember how the Lord drew you to himself? Remember how kind he was? When you were in confusion and you were in darkness. We see the suffering of rejection. But if you look at verses 4, 5, and 6. We see another kind of suffering. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In these next three verses we see the suffering of burden bearing. Our griefs, our sorrows, our sins, our iniquities. We're told as a result of his example to us, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That every one of us pleases neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. I don't know how it goes here in Australia or in New Zealand or in Papua New Guinea or in, in Asia. But I know 
Americans in the United States struggle with something sometimes. We're, we're surrounded with so much prosperity. And, and we're in a culture that's steeped in this self-hyphenated mentality where everything is about self-love, self-fulfillment, self-acceptance, and pretty soon it gets to be all about me. Sound familiar? We're probably not alone with our problem, are we? And yet, and yet, the Bible tells us when we get saved, we're no longer to live for ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't give us richly all things to enjoy. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give us many blessings that, that we enjoy. I saw these beautiful children up here. I was reminded of, of nine beautiful uh, grandchildren that God has given my wife and I. And I always tell everybody the two perfect ones are in heaven. I, I, I'm reminded of, of just the abundance that we have. Uh, the food in our stomach, the clothes in our back, uh, the transportation last night flying over the ocean. And I was looking at, at the chart up there as they showed the, the, the picture of the plane uh, going from Hawaii to Brisbane and, and saying that we were 39,000 feet in the air. We were going into a 100 mile an hour headwind. We were going 500 and something miles an hour, 0.8 something of Mach 1. And yet I was just sitting there as though I was in my living room enjoying a snack and reading my Bible. Are we blessed? I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to travel for seven days, preacher, across the ocean in a ship. Up and down and up and down and I get motion sickness. You see, sometimes there's this sort of expectation that everything needs to come our way because God's so good to us. Have you ever been in a place where you said, Lord, why do I have to bear these burdens? Why do I have to put up with that or this situation or that circumstance or this person? It got so bad for Moses at one point. He says, I can't bear all of these. Have I begotten them? Uh, did, did I have all these? He was, he, was, he was actually upset with the Lord, he, like saying, Lord, these are your people. You take care of them. You ever been there? Whenever we get there, we need to look at the Lord and see him bearing our burdens on the cross. And he says to us in John 15, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. You know what? If you're bearing burdens for others this morning as a Christian, it means God has given you the strength to bear them. Rejoice in that. Rejoice. Rejoice that God has given you that strength this morning. For in this second portion of Isaiah 53, we see the suffering of burden bearing. As he hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? For the Bible says he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you look at verses 4, 5, and 6 with me real quickly once again, you'll see five times he says ours. Two times we see we. One time we see us. Eight times, eight times in three verses, it was about him bearing our burdens. And all he asks is that we go out and do likewise for others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. He did all that, folks, that you and I might be cleansed of our sins, that you and I might have a place where we can take our burdens because he suffered in burden bearing. Notice also in verses 7, 8, and 9. Notice the third kind of suffering that's found in this chapter. The Bible says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. In these three verses we see the suffering of innocence. The suffering of innocence. We're always appalled when we hear about an innocent child being molested or abused. We're made indignant about such injustice. And yet, can we imagine this morning how God the Father felt about his sinless son suffering in innocence, taking on the sins of the whole world? The Bible says that he had done no violence. Uh, there was no deceit with him. Yet great violence was done to him. The deceit, his entire trial, was a mockery. Even while Pilate's wife said to him that he was a just man. Even when Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Even when the centurion said, this is truly a righteous man. Even when the thief on the cross said he hath done nothing amiss. Enemies and friends alike echoed the same sentiment. He was innocent. Yet he suffered. He suffered. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Think of it this morning. The judge of the whole universe is on trial before the most corrupt of earthly tribunals. I'm reminded of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, that he saw the place of judgment and wickedness was there. 
Pilate looked at him and said, No, it's not that I have power to release thee. King of all the earth is on trial. How ironic. He was silent before his accusers, even though a word could have obliterated all of them. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Literally, every atom in the universe is held together because the Lord Jesus Christ wills it. And yet he allowed himself to stand at a mock trial and submit himself to the feeble power of that corrupt, false, Jewish, Roman tribunal of his day. And why did he do it? Look in the mirror. He did it for you, and he did it for me. Why did he do it? When I say this, it doesn't help me understand it anymore. He just did it because he loves us. How can he love us that much? The innocent, verse 8, was done the greatest of all injustices. He was cut off, and it was for the transgression that he was cut off. His is voluntary. His is willful. His is in love. Any defense attorney would have loved to have taken his case. But he would allow no representation. He would not even represent himself. For the just, him, would die for the unjust, us. And so in this we see the suffering of innocence. Three crosses stood on Calvary's hill, surrounded by a mob. Two crosses bore two dying thieves, one the Lamb of God. Two crosses bore two dying thieves who justly suffered shame. One cross bore God's sacrifice, the Lamb for sinners slain. Why is he silent when a word would slay his accusers all? Why does he meekly bear their taunts when angels await his call? He was made sin. My sin he bore upon the accursed tree, and sin hath no defense to make. His silence, it was for me. History Today magazine took a close look at the shame of the Roman crucifixion. The author recognized its reputation. And I quote, It was death deserved by the most unworthy of all the unworthies. It was death with grim humiliation and abasement. Other religions had previously believed in a dying God. The Greek god Dionysus and the Egyptian god Osiris experienced violent deaths, but their deaths were quick and completely free from shame. Christ's death by crucifixion was, by contrast, deeply perplexing to the Roman mind. Let the Son of God assume a mantle of humanity 
and go to the dregs of crucifixion and stoop to the deserts of a rogue slave beneath humanity? This new theology to the Roman mind of a God's voluntary humiliation was completely alien to their thought. One religious group of the day rejected it so soundly and roundly. They were called the Gnostics and believed there was no way that God manifest in the flesh could actually die. And so they literally denied that he died on the cross. Folks, that is the suffering of innocence because you and I were guilty. And lastly... If we'll look at the last section of this chapter, in verses 10 through 12, we read, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, And shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Lastly. We see the suffering of obedience. And I think this is so important because as we've already alluded to once. That in our obedience to the Lord. We know there are places we're going to have to suffer. Fact of the matter is it would be a lot easier to say yes to the Lord in service. If we could just be promised that we wouldn't have to suffer. And so as we look at this last portion of scripture, I'd like for us to be thinking about that because it's so important. Because if you go very far with the Lord, not only are you going to suffer from time to time, but you're going to be walking along that path that he has given you to walk and you're going to know you're right in the center of God's will. And there are going to be times on that path where you're going to be looking at something right in front of you. And you know if I keep going down this path, I'm going to have a train wreck with a form of suffering that I want nothing to do with. True story? And it's at times like those, we have to remember that he is our example. And he was obedient from the beginning of the mission that the Father gave him All the way to the end, even though in between he saw one suffering after another. And you say, why did he go through with it? Real simple again. Not that we can understand it. He did it because he loved us. Lost friend, there's no reason for you to stay lost. God loves you enough to go through all of that to save you. He wants you to be saved this morning. The choice is yours. Will you say yes to that one that loved you that much? In this section of scripture, we see the suffering of obedience. If you would, 
Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 has a little more to say about this very thing. And in verse 6, I, I want you to picture for a moment in your mind's eye God the Father and God the Son. The Bible says that Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, before God decided that he would make man, and because God has foreknowledge, he knew man would fall before the foundation of the world, it was agreed upon that Jesus would die for our sins. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye, God the Father and God the Son talking about this, and God the Son stepping up and volunteering to solve the problem of man's failure before God ever made man. Starting in verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. You see, those Old Testament sacrifices, they, they foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ coming. But they could not take away sin. And God the Father is a holy God. In fact, of all of God's attributes it is holiness that trumps all the other ones you see the liberal says well God is love therefore he wouldn't send anybody to hell well if God was only love that would be true but God is also holy and because he's holy he can't have any fellowship with sin because he's holy sin must be punished and so you see it's God's holiness that trumps all of his other moral and natural attributes. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross and suffer judgment for our sins. And notice what is said in verse 9. Then said he, lo, I come, and come to do thy will, O God. That's the son stepping up. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. The Son of God stepped up before the foundation of the world and said, Father, I'll do it for them. The Son of God stepped up in the Old Testament when all of those blood sacrifices of those animals would not take away sin. And God says, I have no pleasure in those. He stepped up again. And then he came to this earth and walked through the dirty streets of this world. Went to a horrible cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb and resurrected from the dead. Went all the way to the end of his mission that you and I might be saved. The suffering of obedience. I got thinking the other day that he suffered rejection that I might have acceptance. He suffered burdens that we might have a place to cast ours. 
He suffered silent before his accusers that he might speak on our behalf. He suffered pain that we might experience pleasure. He suffered guilt that we might be made innocent. He suffered sorrow that we might experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. He got lonely that we might experience love. He was deserted that we might have friends. He was abandoned that he might be to us a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He was condemned that we might be justified. He was bound that we might be made free. He was a prisoner that we might be released. And he went homeless that we might have mansions in heaven. You know, when I think of motivation for serving the Lord, when I think of reasons for going on for God, I think of three levels of service. The basis of all levels is, is fear. Fear. The Bible says Noah moved with fear and he prepared an ark. You say, what does that mean? Noah didn't want to drown. He moved with fear. God said, I'm going to flood the world. You better build an ark so you and your family can escape. Wouldn't you move with fear? But there's another level that goes beyond that. Duty. Duty. Paul said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know why they put soldiers through the training they put them through? Boot camp and then things that push them way beyond what they think they can handle. Because when the time of battle takes place, when they're ordered to go into battle where, they, where it's a, a good probability they might be killed, they've got to be willing to obey that order and just go in there even if it costs them their life. Duty. To say, yes, sir. Roger that and go right in. But you know what? There's one more level of motivation. And Paul said the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, folks, when nothing else will work, it's good enough just fearing not to do right, to keep going doing right. A sense of duty will keep us going sometimes when the gratitude isn't there to the level where it needs to be. But the place we want to spend the most time at is right there where Paul said the love of Christ constraineth us. Gratitude. Hey, Lord, I don't got to do this. I get to do it. I get to do it. Someone said this morning, thank you, preacher, for, for coming all the way from the States and traveling and taking time out. And I don't consider it any burden this morning. I don't got to do this. I get to do this. I don't got to get up in the morning and go to church. I get to go to church. I don't got to give someone a track or tell them how to be saved. I get to do it. I don't got to read my Bible and pray. I get to read my Bible and pray. You know why I get to do it? And not got to? Because of how much he loved me. He's our example, folks. 
And as we see the suffering of obedience that he went through in our behalf, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see, folks, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, and, and there isn't too much danger of this when we're first saved. You remember how it was when you were first saved? If you were like me, a lot of my attempts to serve the Lord were pretty clumsy. They really were. But one thing that they always were, they were happy, they were grateful, and I was excited, and I was filled with zeal. Why? Because the memory of being saved out of the old life was still fresh in my mind. But you know what the danger is after we've been saved for a while? The danger is that we get thinking somehow that God owes us something. We forget that we were saved from a life of sin. And God saved some of us out of a life of sin. And some saved some, God saved some of you from a life of that kind of sin. But either way, we should be grateful. But after a while, we get like those Jews out in the wilderness. Ah, would to God we'd have stayed in Egypt. It's too hard out here. It, it, it's too difficult. There's too many challenges. And you know what happens? We get the victim mentality. We get the victim mentality. And I'll say that to us preachers here this morning. We can get the victim mentality. Look how much I'm suffering for Jesus. Look how hard it is. And what we need to remember, folks, is we don't got to do this. We get to do it. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The suffering of obedience. The suffering of obedience. If we obey the Lord and go all the way down the path he's called us to go, there's going to be some suffering. But just as it was with Christ, there's also a great reward at the other side. And he's our example this morning, folks. And it's certainly worth it. Revelation chapter 5, if you will. And we'll close with a thought out of this, this particular verse. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. In those last three verses of Isaiah 53, we see that Christ would be rewarded. He would have a place with the great. And we read in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess 
Folks, even Satan is going to have to admit defeat before Jesus. Aren't you looking forward to that day? But notice Revelation chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And folks, he hasn't got it all yet. He hasn't got it all. He's waiting for some of his, just like you and I are waiting. He's waiting for some of his when the myriads of saved from all ages sing his praises. And folks, remember something. As a believer, you don't get all your rewards in this life. I think more Christians quit. More Christians get off the path. More Christians quit walking with God because we get short-sighted. And we think we should be cashing in now. And the reality of it is, the best is yet to come. Christ went through all of these different kinds of suffering. The suffering of rejection. The suffering of innocence. And the suffering of obedience. All those different types of suffering. But in the end, he's been rewarded and will be rewarded even more. And folks, when Paul said it in Romans 8, he couldn't have said it any better. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Think of the most difficult thing you've been through as a Christian. And when you get to heaven, you're going to look at it and go, that was nothing. That's how great heaven's going to be, folks. You say, I, 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 can't, I can't even describe it for you. I told our church the other day, I said, it's way easier to preach on hell than it is to preach on heaven. You know why that is? Because there's all kinds of things on this earth that are similitudes to hell. There's all kinds of things that illustrate what the Bible tells us about hell. But what are you going to find in this life that compares to heaven? And Paul said it. He said, I have not seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. In other words, with our natural senses, there's nothing in this life that compares to it. It's beyond it. And so Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared. They don't belong in the same ballpark with the glory that shall be revealed in us. This same suffering Savior will re receive the reward of his suffering. One last thought. Did you ever notice how Jesus never worried when it came to disciples? He never worried about how many. He never worried about how many. John chapter 6, he's just fed the multitudes, and he is at the height of his popularity. They are following him by the throngs. He's got more disciples, and he knows what to do with. And he starts teaching about eating his flesh 
and drinking his blood. And some people start going, this is weird. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And he gets done talking about that. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 66, and many of his disciples, what did they do? They went and they followed him no more. And, and what did Jesus do? He went, hey, come on back. You didn't understand. Hold it. I'll clear this up. Is that what he did? He turned to, his, he turned to the twelve. He said, will you go also? He didn't want them to. But you know what Jesus never worried about? He never worried about how many. Here's what he worries about with disciples. How far? How far are we willing to go? That's what he's looking for. And you know what, folks? He suffered, leaving us an example. And I know this isn't the kind of subject that makes us want to swing from those rafters. Nobody got up this morning and said, Lord, please bring some suffering into my life. It's just not something we do. Fact of the matter is, if you did, you're kind of weird. You're not normal. But it's all part of being a disciple. And he is our example. And he finished his course. He broke the tape. He ran the race. He finished with joy. And he's there at the finish line saying, come on. Come on. Come on. You can make it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the piano player, organ player, to play something by way of invitation. If you're here this morning and you're saved, Maybe you're going through something this morning. It's a struggle for you. Maybe you need to come and spend some time in prayer with the Lord and just give it to Him. Give it to Him. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, you're my example this morning. I'm asking you by your grace to get me through this. Maybe on the path you're on, you see something ahead. You know, sometimes when that happens, we're tempted to want to veer another direction. Why don't you take it to the Lord this morning and just say, Lord, you help me. You help me. You got through. You finished the race for me by your grace. By your grace. I want to finish the race. I want to finish the race. None of us here this morning enjoys suffering or even the thought of it or the concept of it. But until everything gets wrapped up and the last enemy that's destroyed is death, 1 Corinthians 15, suffering is and will remain his currency. Our salvation is bought through the suffering of Jesus. And if we're going to serve him, there's going to be some suffering. But the good news is he gives grace. 
He gives help. And He's been there. And He can get you through it. He's the author. He's the finisher of your faith. Look to Him this morning. Look to Him this morning. Lost friend, are you here without Jesus Christ? You've never been born again. You've never been saved. Everything we talked about this morning, He did it for you as much as He did it for the rest of us. All you need to do is receive Him as your personal Savior. Is there anybody here this morning would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. I can't honestly tell you that I know Christ is my personal Savior, but I am concerned about my soul. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you slip your hand up for a moment? I would just like to pray for you. Is there anybody? Say, Preacher, I can't honestly say that I know Christ, but I am concerned about my soul. Is there anybody here this morning? All right, sir, I see your hand there. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? I'm not saved, but I am concerned about my soul. Some have come to pray. All right, in just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. Pastor's going to take over this invitation. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're going through something, you just need some encouragement. Don't be afraid to reach out to another believer, your pastor, someone else in this congregation that you know is strong in the Lord, has been where you're going and can be an encouragement to you. You're here this morning without Christ. Just a moment, we're going to have the invitation. Let me encourage you to step out, come forward. Let somebody show you out of a Bible how you can be saved. Have a word of prayer and get it taken care of. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Bless the invitation. Use it to your glory and honor. Father, we pray for this gentleman that raised his hand. Thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to his heart. Give him the grace to come to Christ this morning and to be saved. Father, for these that have come that are praying, that are laying burdens at your feet. Father, we don't know what it's about, but it really doesn't matter. You do. And thank you, Lord, for what you suffered for us. Lord, as a believer for almost 45 years now, there have been so many joys, there have been so many blessings. But I thank you, Lord, during those times when I had to suffer, you were always there. And thank you, Lord, that someday when we get to heaven, we'll count any suffering that we've been through in this life as absolutely nothing not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Father, we can't even imagine how wonderful that's going to be. But by faith, we claim it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.